0: From the NFL, we know the Browns have talent, but I'm not sold on this rookie head
1: coach. To the NBA, Kawhi Leonard has added his name as one of the best players in basketball. Across the landscape of college football, the Pac-12 got how many teams
0: in the top 25?
1: And so much more. Watson needs a Dana White. It has too many chefs in the kitchen. The stories you want. The Zeke Elliott holdout
0: could be coming to a close.
1: The opinions you need. LeBron is coming back with revenge on his mind. The king is back. It's Jay Wise.
0: I keep telling y'all my last name is no joke.
1: And Nathan Drinkard. If they don't win this game, it's a wrap. Stick a fork in them. They're done. This is A Drink of Wisdom.
2: Welcome to A Drink of Wisdom. With Jay Wise and Nathan Drinkard, I'm your host, Cody Ward. Thanks for spending some of your time with us tonight. As a reminder to all our listeners, besides being on all your favorite podcast platforms, A Drink of Wisdom is also available on YouTube, with each So Segment available. Head on over, and if you like what you hear, we'd appreciate your subscription.
0: What's going on, guys? What's going on, man? The beard, the drink, and the wisdom. Let's do it. Let's talk some sports, baby
2: just that. In episode 67, we discuss episodes three and four of The Last Dance and grade the drafts of each team in the AFC and NFC East. But we begin tonight with a look at a growing problem up in Green Bay. The Packers traded up in the first round of the draft last week. just like Utah State quarterback Jordan Love with a 26 pick up from 30. The move was shocking since Rodgers is in the midst of a huge contract extension that'll run through 2023. Rodgers has said he wanted to play until he was at least 40 and has praised the team's aggressiveness and free agency and hoped to add some first-round talent to the offense. Well, they did, just not likely what he had in mind. Uh, There's been a lot made of the relationship between Rodgers and the team in the wake of the draft. So, Jay, it's uh, pretty simple, man. Whose side are you on, Aaron Rodgers or the Green Bay Packers?
0: My position from last week after this pick was made has not changed, although I'm going to talk at a a more leveled tone today, I believe. Uh, Listen, the Packers... When you look at them, and you look at them last season, one game away from the Super Bowl, and you just—I'm—I'm I'm of the mindset that in that position, you would go about the business of making win-now moves. Let's 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 look at this. Brian Gutekunst last in free agency last season. I thought he did a—I thought he did a very fine job. I look at what he did with Preston Smith, Darius Smith, Adrian Amos. They injected a lot of talent in that defense. Not to mention uh, getting Darnell Savage in the draft. I thought he did a lot of things right. Uh, not not this time though. Uh, Jordan Love, I just don't see the need unless you, unless you drafted him in the first round uh, to be a certified backup, which I don't I don't think that's I don't think that's why you made this move. But this this does nothing to help you win now because there's Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love aren't going to be at the field at the same time, and you had glaring needs at multiple other positions. You did nothing to address your defensive line. Which we we talked about, Kenny Clark. Um, outside of him, they was pretty soft. Drink Drink told as much of the season, and he he was absolutely right. They couldn't stop the run, particularly against the 49ers, and they weren't all that stout against most other teams. So you that that's still going to be a problem moving forward. The offensive line, you did you did bring in Rick Wagner to replace Brian Belaga, so I think the offensive line will still be in decent shape. But then you go to the skill position groups and we talked pre-draft we were all about the wide receiver position because after Devontae Adams it just did, it just didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense uh, with whatever else you had going for it now you can listen to the general manager and he can he can name a bunch of guys as like oh well you know Allen Lazard you know he's emerging and then we got you know uh, <sighs> M- M- MVS is out there and EQ and uh, come on uh, listen man when you use initials for players we have to, like, readily know who they are. The only reason we know who they are, that would be Marquez Valdez, Scantling and Aquaman St. Brown, is because we followed this stuff. Any, any other, like, just casual fans are looking at you and saying, who, who are you talking about? Who is MVS? Like, we don't know. We don't know him. We sure don't know him from his production on the field, which was about 24 receptions and two touchdowns last season. And he came in as supposed to be your number two receiver. You talk about Devin Funches. Maybe he could be something for you. Well, you better hope so because other receivers that you had uh, after Devontae Adams that so were already on this roster, I just don't see it. And then Jimmy Graham's gone. You had Jay Sternberg. You drafted him last season. Now you have another tight end on your uh, in the third round this year and uh, Josiah DeGuara. So we'll, we'll see what those guys can come up with. And then running back, well, I looked at the running back position. I looked at a position of strength. Um, Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones Aaron Jones scored 16 touchdowns last season and f- predominantly for much of the year he was really the engine that had this the, this offense uh, performing as well as it did and I think J- Jamal Williams definitely a capable complement to what Aaron Jones can give you so I just look at that and then I look at this draft to me they, they didn't get better and even as the draft progressed I hate to skip ahead to content that we'll have Friday. I think green Bay did the most, did the poorest job across the board in this entire draft. I I really do. And it's not, again, it's not just about the first round. I I, I didn't see the need for them to have AJ Dillon. You got another tight end there. I mean, you're not using, you didn't use your tight ends all that much last year. And then no defensive lineman. So you're still going to be soft against the run. And then you look at what Bob McGinn wrote uh, in the athletic in his piece. And there just seems to be a power struggle developing here. And somehow, some way, uh, Matt LaFleur has been given the keys uh, to the city as if he's directly responsible for this 13-3 record that they got last year. I'm going to tell you right now, I, I, don't, I don't see nothing all that impressive in Matt LaFleur. I wasn't impressed with him when they hired him. I'm not all that impressed now. It, it's a 13-3 record. I get it. You were on the doorstep of the Super Bowl. But you had Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback. And primarily when I looked at them throughout this uh, last season, I, just, I looked at them in the first half of games. I thought they would start off pretty well. They felt they looked to me as a team that was pretty good on script. But there was the second half would roll around and I just didn't think they were all that impressive. I don't feel like they made a whole lot of adjustments. I didn't I don't feel like Matt LaFour put them in great situations. And listen, he's got. Listen, that was his rookie year. That's fair to say he could improve. And we'll see how that we'll see how that goes. But as of right now, I'm not impressed with what I'm seeing from from Matt LaFleur and Bryant Gutekas right now. I'm not impressed with him. And so in that in that regard, I'm absolutely on the side of Aaron Rodgers. This draft that they just came up with, and I don't think they were all that great in free agency this time around either. I don't they have not to me for a team that is in a perfect win now situation right now. They haven't helped their chances next season. And if if it were me, I had to put money down right now, I'd take Minnesota to win this division over Green Bay.
1: Very well. So, you know, I'm not into beating a dead horse, so I'm going to get straight to it. I don't think it's a secret when I say the Green Bay organization is going to move past Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if it's going to happen this season. During so it looks like it's going to happen next season. So, It is what it is. But to be honest, after gathering more info on this situation, I looked at Aaron Rodgers and I thought he looked average at best last year, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, he was crushed up by that run game. Defense was, you know, so-so. But I didn't think he played out of his mind. So maybe, just maybe, the organization knows something about Aaron Rodgers that we're not privy to. So – I'm going to let that play out how it play out, but that's that's my opinion on that. It's something that we don't know about in the organization. They didn't have enough for Aaron Rodgers. They're going to get him on out of here. Now, if he stays, how I look at this is, this is a great opportunity for Aaron Rodgers to do, let's say, some image rehab here. This is an opportunity for that young player to come in. He can you know, prove the haters wrong and become somewhat of a leader or somewhat of a mentor for this young rookie Jordan Love. um because when we when we, when we're talking about Aaron Rodgers his his ability he's still one of the best in the game but you know his attitude will leave you a little more to be desired um and I think Aaron Rodgers this year will be a a better quarterback than he was last year because now he has this new fire lit the, lit under him. So he's going to be out to prove everybody wrong, which is cool, you know, whatever. But I, I just think you you need to fix your image more than actually being a quarterback because I think this is where all this conversation is stemming from. But what I would like to see out of Aaron Rodgers this year is I would like for him to, to embrace a mentor role make Jordan Love more of an all-around quarterback and not have that lackluster attitude that Brent Favre had in the past, Big Ben had as of recently, hey, it's not my job. Okay, it's not your job, but you know what I'm saying? These quarterbacks come in, they look up to these veteran quarterbacks. I'm pretty sure a lot of quarterbacks that's coming into the league now look up to Aaron Rodgers for things that he's done so far since being in the NFL. So how about you go back? you actually lay a pathway for some of these guys instead of worrying about yourself the whole time, letting it be the Aaron Rodgers show. But, you know, it is what it is. Now, as far as the organization goes, they are at fault. I'm not saying that they're not at fault. They are. Listen, you gave Aaron Rodgers zero top ten defenses in the 2010 decade. That ain't it. He inherited a coach... That ain't showed us anything of any substance in his career yet. That ain't it. And then on top of all that, this year, you decided to trade up. And as you traded up, we all said, oh, they going to Wide receiver. Wide receiver coming. You traded up to get a quarterback instead of an elite wide receiver to help out your highly paid quarterback. That ain't it. But if I had to put all the pieces together, it seems to me, as in hey, you want to move on. If that's your your choice, as an organization, you have the right to move on. So, listen, with that said, Aaron Rodgers need to come out, show everybody that he's still an elite quarterback and that he can do the things we think he can, he can do or he's going to be replaced possibly next year by Jordan Love. Yeah,
2: this, this situation, man, I, I'm – I don't I, I lean towards Aaron Rodgers here. In my my opinion is mostly because I feel like this team has undersold him. They've under-equipped him to win. Uh, ever since their Super Bowl, this team, these, these teams, they get a, a franchise quarterback. You know, they so often use them as a crutch and they say, oh, well, we got we got Aaron Rodgers. We don't need to do this. We don't need to do that. But we see Seattle do it right now. Uh, they're do These guys are doing the Rodgers. And there's other examples you can name if you want to go with like Indy and Luck and how bad some of their drafts were. But, you know, when you look at this team's history and how they've drafted and how they've put the team together, it they've always been cheap in free agency until until recently. They, they did spend this past year, like Jay said, and that's that's absolutely commendable. But they were cheap for years, I and mean, they were penny-pinching, they were never the big splash, and they never wanted to bring those guys in. You look at how they drafted. From 2015 to 2019, three of their, three or four of their first four picks in all those drafts were defense. They finally, they took years and years to build the defense, and it, it's, it's nice, but it's not like you know, elite game-carrying amount of, you know, level defense. Uh, the last time they took a player in the first round who was actually an offensive player besides Love was 2011. They took a tackle with number 32nd pick, and, uh, well, he's out of the league now, so I guess he wasn't very good. Um, it's just – it speaks to – you also had the tweet where they talked about, of course, the uh, how he's only thrown one touchdown to a first-round talent, which I'll give him some pass. Some of the wide receivers we've seen between now and then – haven't been the best in the first round. So there, there's some made that there were some good second round wide receivers. Not going to knock them too hard. But overall, it just seems like they've never prioritized putting a true winning team around. Them. They've never sold out to go, hey, we've got Aaron Rodgers. We're going to go and we're going to do everything we can to help this guy win. It's always just been, well, we'll have a nice team. We'll see how it goes. And I just I don't. I, I can feel like why Aaron Rodgers is now like, are we, are you serious? Like we got another window, open it up and this is what we do. We go out and get a project quarterback. And the thing is this too, with love. Okay. And drink, I mean, to your point, you're right. They, they could be up to something. They could know something, but you just signed this man to a gigantic contract. He has $79 million guaranteed at signing on this contract. So if you thought, okay, well, Rodgers is in our long-term plans, why would that be? And the only response I could think of was this new regime, I guess, just doesn't get along with him. Sometimes you see new regimes come in with new GM, new coach, and maybe they just don't want to put, uh, you know, tie their horse to this guy, so to speak. You know, sometimes that happens even with a guy like him. Maybe they he just rubs in the wrong way. I don't know. It's hard to tell. No one knows from the inside. But they may say, hey, we're not going to we're not going to hitch up to this guy for three, four years and put our careers on the line for him at this age. And maybe they wanted their own guy, but even if Jordan Love was like virtually guaranteed to be good, how like this still wouldn't make any sense because it doesn't help you right now. And you have him under contract. So I just I can understand some level of foresight to go, okay, well, down the road, we can't play this dude forever, but this is just such a bizarre timing. And the fact that they traded up for this kid instead of, ah, well, you know, he fell to us and we just figured why not. No, you traded up to get him. You made a point to go get him. To me, that, that sends a message that this regime just doesn't want to deal with Rodgers for whatever reason. And I would think in two years that Jordan Love's going to be the starting quarterback in the Packers.
0: But. Yeah. Uh, Bri- Brian Gutekus, Goudic- Brian Koudic- Br- he was named the general manager of this team uh, early, early 2018, January, 2018. It was eight months later, August of 2018, that Aaron Rodgers got his extension. And I'll say to the point of Aaron Rodgers being difficult, I don't think that's something that's a secret anymore, based on what we've heard recently. Um, uh, Brian Gutekunst, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he, he's been in the Packer organization longer than before um, he got named general manager. Right. So this whole, yeah, this whole notion of Aaron Rodgers being difficult, that that that, that that's true. I, you go ahead and put a stamp on that. You are, you knew this when you paid him the money, you knew this. And I mean, in the past two seasons, since signing that contract, I think it's fair to say Aaron Rodgers has not been the same, the, the vintage Aaron Rodgers of he's not, he's not an MVP to, no more. I don't think he's probably not a top five quarterback anymore. I'd still put him in my top 10, but in the past two seasons, he's thrown 51 touchdowns and six interceptions. I'd be interested in that. I don't know about you. You can win with that. In my opinion. Um, I think I think so. You, you yeah. just did. You went 13 and three last year. So something must have been going on correctly. So it's just it's just a real head scratcher. I don't understand it. And based on his contract, you, you've got him for the next two years. I don't I don't think you can. I don't think if you're Green Bay, I mean, I, I guess you could throw Jordan Love in whenever. But it's just too much money to be just riding on the bench for a guy who is still very productive. And in key situations, if you need a late drive, I still want Aaron Rodgers having a football. So in the end, I just don't – I still don't understand it.
2: All right, guys, episodes three and four of The Last Dance, detailing Jordan's Bulls to their dynasty, dropped on Sunday. These two episodes focus on the Bulls' rivalry with the bad boy Pistons in the late 80s and also on Dennis Rodman's time with the team. It's a great insight to the hatred between the Pistons and the Bulls and also probably the most detailed interview you'll ever get with Rodman. So, Drink, what would you think of the third and fourth episodes?
1: Well, what did I think? Hey. (laughs) Well, listen, I knew Dennis Rodman was wild, but I never knew he had the balls to go up to field during the season and ask for a break during the season just to go party. And then he asked for the break, right? And he got the break. Even though Jordan disapproved, Jordan was like, come on, Phil. Like, really? We let this guy go. We ain't going to see him again. What are we doing here? Like, come on, man. So he got it. Now, I just want to slide in a note that this is the same guy that was supposed to go up to ownership and tell them to pay Scott Pippen more money. But he couldn't stop Dennis Rodman from going to party during the season. So there's neither here nor there. But one of the odd things was, once he came back from that that sabbatical in Vegas, he actually came back and played better than he did before he left. So, it, I mean, it made it, it kind of made you wonder, like, I mean, was it really that terrible of an idea when you think about it? I mean, you did come back and get a better player. Um, also, I, I want to hit on, like, his celebrity status. It, it was a lot made about how he was a celebrity status. I mean, when you when you measure up the, the popularity of both of the guys, they was, Jordan was the most pop, popular guy evidently, but you know, Rodman, it was a, it was a stretch during those nineties where Rodman was, could possibly have been the most popular guy in the NBA. um And it was telling because I was watching the interview and they was talking about how Rodman held interviews at the time. And they were saying like the only interview that he actually held that had some substance was the interview with, um. Uh, named Barbara Walters, the one where he had on the wig, and mm-hmm. he had a whole ordeal going on. It was that interview, and and then they they came up with an insert of his ex-girlfriend Carmen Electra at the time where she she pretty much said, Listen, he did all that for you guys because I thought he had more to him. I thought he was actually a wild guy. But once I got to know him, he was pretty basic, he was plain. So I broke up with him because. He was just a plain guy. Like he wasn't all this extra stuff that he made y'all think he was. So I thought that was interesting because he went out his way to be so unique and extraordinary. And then your ex-girlfriend said he was about as basic as overcooked rice. Now, my second point of, the, of this uh, episode three and four was: Listen, don't give me no damn excuse why the bad boy, the bad boy Pistons, didn't shake the Bulls' hand after the 1991 Eastern Conference Final Series because that's bull crap because you can clearly see the Bulls go and shake their hand after three years in a row of taking the L to this same team. Not only did they take the L, you're talking about this team was beating them up as they were taking the L. And they still went to these teams, shook their hand, good series. We'll see you again next year. It is what it is. My mom used to have this saying, right? And she used to tell me when I was growing up, she always say, "Nate, I want you to know something." I said, "What's up, Mom?" She always say, "I want you to treat people in the same manner that you expect them to treat you. If you do this, it you wouldn't you will you would not have a relationship that goes wrong." I said, "All right, cool." So, what the I don't I don't really care about what the Celtics did to the Pistons—that's a cop out. Like, you know, Isaiah Thomas want to say, "Well, you know, the Celtics didn't shake our hand. So what? They didn't—they didn't shake your hand. What they got to do with the Bulls? Like, it is what it is. And—and that just ain't good enough. You—that was—that was some i got some other words for it, some explicit, but that was—that was that weak was sauce. You—you you, got to come with something better. Than that. So. I don't blame Jordan for holding a grudge to this day, especially after hearing that that overcooked rice of over an explanation that Isaiah Thomas served up on the documentary. That ain't it. I don't want to hear that crap. Doesn't un- like be be more professionals. Like what what would it hurt for you to shake Michael Jordan's hand for a second and then keep walking? No, you walked out before the game was over. So that's weak sauce. Detroit can miss me with that bull crap. And then my third point was I was surprised to hear that. Phil Jackson was not the guy behind the triangle offense. It was actually yep. Tex Winner. I did not know that. I, I always assumed that Phil was the guy that, that came up with that. But it was Tex Winner, you know, assisting with the Bulls from 85 to 99 to to nine, and a keynote. Also, assisting with the Lakers from 99 to 2008 because that's that explains why that offense traveled with Phil over to the Lakers. Um, so I found that to be very Interesting as we all know that look this triangle offense changed the game for the Bulls in the 90s and it changed the game for the Lakers in the 2000s. Point blank period. This offense came up and listen, it worked. Phil worked the personnel. Uh, Tex Winner works, he worked that that single focus program. And listen, yeah, a whole lot of champions got made out of that that offense. Um the one thing that I, I, I do think that we don't stress enough is how Phil got Jordan to buy into the triangle offense, as you see. Listen, after three years in the Doug Collins offense, that pretty much kept the ball in Jordan's hands the whole time. Now for you to come out and try to convince him, hey, listen, Michael, I know you don't really like this, but, you know, if you kind of pass the ball, we can still win too, you know. And, you know, Michael, like, nah, man, these dudes sorry. Last time I ain't played, we almost got smoked. These dudes sorry. I I don't trust that. Like, Michael, give me a little trust. Put the ball in somebody's hands. So I, I thought that was telling that Phil was able to get Jordan to agree to that. And I got to say before I sign off, hey, shout out to John Paxson for making them shots in game five of the 91 NBA Finals. Because I'm going to tell you like this. If he didn't make them shots, I don't think Jordan buy into the, he, he. I don't think he buy into this offense. Therefore, changing history as we know it. So that was my three uh, reactions for this uh, these two episodes.
0: Yeah, uh, first of all, yeah, the Dennis Rodman the the vacation that uh, he went on mid season. I, I can't I can't imagine something like that uh, occurring today. We know that players from time to time they take some time off, a little low management here and there, but uh, I don't I don't think we're gonna see a guy just you know run off to Vegas and just <laughs> go go buck wild out there. But but again, I, I'll tell you. A lot a lot of these things you think about and it really can you can really boil it down to Phil Jackson pressing the right buttons because Michael Jordan is sitting right there and saying you really gonna let him do this he not coming back and he <laughs> he, he actually didn't come back they had to go get him which mm-hmm. is just, just fast they said yeah you got 48 hours and they had they, they had to go to the hotel room I believe Carmen Electra was in the room hiding yeah. under bed sheets behind the couch <laughs> they, they pull Robin out the room and bring him back. <laughs> but it's fascinating before that because while Scottie Pippen was out, Dennis Rodman was really the second option, and which kind of brought out the best in him because he knew, you know, Michael Jordan really needed him. And once Scottie came back, it was like, well, what I'm gonna do now? I guess I'll just, I don't know, grab 20 rebounds. That's cool. But I can't score the ball no more. But so, re- yeah, really, Robin, just his personality and what he portrayed to the media versus who he really was. It's a fascinating study and it's still fascinating to this day. And then uh, Phil Jackson, back to Phil, you you brought up Doug Collins. The Bulls Bulls had some successful seasons under Doug Collins, but Doug Collins always emphasized Michael. He never embraced the triangle. Tex Winter was out there trying. He was, you know, badgering Doug Collins time after time. Hey, let's run this offense and Collins got sick of it. You relegate him to copious note taking just over on the sideline. Just don't don't even come near me. Um, and then, you know, management, Jerry Krause said, you know what? We, I think Phil's ready to be the coach. And Phil gets to be the coach. Tex Winter gets his offense. And the, the triangle is such a simplistic concept. But then you you see it and you see the little overlays they putting on the court and just how it unlocked the the, the, the one pass. Just open up, you know, countless different options. And the whole point, Phil's point, juxtaposed to Doug Collins, well, Michael, if you got the ball every play, you know, we're bailing out the defense. The defense can key on you. Whereas if we move the ball, if we share the ball, we run this offense, take the ball out of your hands a little bit, the defense is off balance. They're not going to know what to expect. And it ended up bringing the best out of Scottie Pippen, And that's really when the Lakers started winning – and of, co- of course, the Pistons. You write you on the money. The Pistons, really, that team that stood in their way. The Bulls lost back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals to them, uh, six games and then seven games. And you just, you just look at the the action between those two teams. Um, I, I look at the today's the modern NBA. I think it's a little bit soft, but I, I wouldn't want to play in this era with these guys. I mean, some of the stuff you see out there, like people are out there getting brutalized. Um, Some of that action in the paint just and the the Pistons to their to at least they got the intelligence enough to know, hey, we we can't let him take off because it's over then. So don't let him get off the ground. Make sure he feels us. And then after that second Eastern Conference Finals loss, they go into the offseason. The the mindset training uh, changes. You see Michael Jordan uh, uh, taking more weightlifting. Getting stronger so he can not only uh, take more punch but also dish some of it out. And then by that time it was just one of those situations where you know little kid gets gets sick of being bullied for so long, and then they just rise up and they crush them. They swept them the next time around uh, on on their way to their first championship. And yeah, um, yeah, the whole the whole excuse of the Pistons like, well, yeah, the Celtics they didn't shake our hands five years ago. Well, I mean, yeah, but the Bulls just shook your hands last season. So maybe maybe thinking about that whereas you know, digging up some lame excuse from like 3 or 4 years ago. Um at, at least at least for Isaiah Thomas, you can I think you can tell like he feels some amount of remorse. But there's some people that ain't going to change like Bill Laimbeer, who was like the you know the anchor of all that just just the fit, the physical assault he was out there levying against people, and he he did an interview a couple of days ago. Like, yeah, I don't feel I don't feel I don't feel bad about it, you know. It is what he is. We were the winners, you know, and that he talked about. It. Man, they whined. Well, I, I'd probably whine a little bit too if I was out there getting beat up. Um, that there's just some some things you you were watching out there. And it's like that's that's not basketball. Like you you have it. You have any idea how many flagrant fouls would be called if like a team played that way? Like the 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 Pistons if they played that way today they wouldn't be able to finish the game with five men on the floor. It just wouldn't happen. And then the 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 last thing is the Pistons and Bulls, and you can probably look at other um, rivalries throughout this time period, there's a real genuine dislike and to some extent hatred that these teams shared for each other. And me personally, I love that, as opposed to teams, you know, all, all the smiling and hanging out after the games and all that. Oh, yeah, we – yeah, you I, I like the general competitive dislike for the opponent and coming out there on the floor and just wanting to crush the other team. I, I love that.
2: Yeah, the uh, I've had a really, really enjoyable time watching all th- these documentaries because it's, it's really good to see, like, there's so many talking points. I talked about it last week, too, like how all these talking points and these, like, topics that just get thrown up in conversation, you know, the bad boy Pistons and this and that, but you don't. Like, unless you go back and watch stuff like this, you don't really know exactly. The, so the, the context is so appreciated to go back and, and get what you're get what everybody's talking about. You know, it, it was I had no idea these guys were like going as hard as they were. I mean, like you said, they were straight just committing flagrants every single time someone come down the floor. I mean, they have the cops out there today. Like, it, it's I can't even I can't even imagine something like that. And, um, you know, and I really didn't understand how ingrained that rivalry was. I just thought, I remember like, oh, well it's just a team Jordan had to get over or whatever, but like, no, 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 like they built that whole team around and they, their whole philosophy became we're going to beat this one team. And it's funny because they said teams being built to beat teams. That's something we've seen, not just with that one instance, but that's something that happens even today. You know, teams literally start, you start getting these two teams, you know, Alabama and Clemson or golden state Cleveland. Like you start getting these multi-year matchups where one team starts literally tooling their entire team around beating one other team. That's all. That's like fascinating to know that that's not just recent. I mean, that was happening even back then. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of it is just cyclical. You know, you have the next best thing, and then something comes along to Trump. You know, the Pistons do what they did, and then the Bulls do what they did with the triangle, and then somebody else does what they did, and it just – things just kind of roll along, you know, it's interesting to see that kind of thing. The um, Dennis Rodman stuff was fantastic. Um, didn't know a whole lot about him before this. And, you know, we, we get so caught today in all these advanced metrics and detailed analysis and our technology, but you, you need to do like Dennis Rodman on your team, even with all the clownery and stuff aside, like, man, you need to do like him, Brian didn't get in the rebounds. I mean, not everybody can shoot the ball. And uh, it's cool to see him kind of get his little kind of a moment in the sun, you know, and, and guys like him even today are kind of overlooked because all we care about nowadays is shooting threes and scoring points. So it's cool to see a guy like him get a little, little attention. And uh, you know, the, the Jordan triangle offense thing—last saying last thing I'll say about that was interesting because you know, LeBron gets a lot of the same – some of the you know, criticism that Jordan doesn't seem to get as much. Like, you know, we, we look at that Game 7 of the finals in the 90s they lost to the Pistons. You know, if that happened today, LeBron went and lost to Game 7 in the finals, what would be the narrative? Oh, LeBron, just go get it done, you know? Well, Jordan didn't either. What did he have to do? He had to change how he played. He had to get his teammates more involved. I mean, we've seen what he's doing with that. So, it's again, it's interesting to see that Jordan had to do the same things. to to win also it's not just oh well Jordan just carried the day no matter what all the time well no he had to do some stuff too to make sure his team could win and it wasn't just the Jordan show because like you said they tried that for years and they had limited success some success but it was never obviously where they wanted to be so yeah I'm really really enjoying this uh this series I can't I can't wait for next Sunday all right fellas let's move on back to the NFL and begin our NFL draft grades Similarly to how we rolled the team previews, we'll revisit each division, team by team, and analyze how they did with letter grades. These are mostly based off of the draft and the team needs, but we'll also consider trades and picks used to trade for players. And we'll start today with the AFC East. So, Jay, the Dolphins are up first. How'd you like their 400 picks?
0: Uh, 400. They did, they did a good job. The Dolph, Dolphins get an A here. Uh, They got their franchise quarterback, uh, to a Well, we, th- we thought that was going to happen, despite, you know... Some smoke screens we were seeing uh, late before the draft. And then just structurally, you look at the way they draft. Uh, seven of their 11 picks uh, were up front in the trenches. So I really like that. I'm a big believer in uh, when you're in the rebuilding stage, uh, build up those offensive and defensive lines because it, that's where it all starts. And then and you, you got um, Austin Jackson, Robert Hunt, Solomon Kenley. Uh, with with Tua, you know he's cu- comes with some injury concerns. So I like how they make it a pro. They made it a priority um, to be, uh, to beef up that offensive line, and they got a bunch of young guys in there who can grow with Tua. So I really like that. And then you look in the later rounds, uh, in the fifth round, Jason Strobridge and Curtis Weaver. They were guys that had pretty pretty high grades. I don't think those guys were expected to drop into the fifth round. So they got some really good value there. So. Overall, I think they did a really good job. They get an A.
1: Yeah, um, I agree with the A evidently. And before I get into exactly what I gave, I just want to say uh, I did look at all seven rounds. I'm only going to hit on the first three rounds for the sake of time. I don't want to drag this out no longer than it has to be. So I I gave my A-plus for the draft. And listen, they drafted Tua. He's a home run. To me, besides his injury history, I don't really see the downfall of uh, drafting him. And you get to sit him, and he, and he will get healthy behind Fitzpatrick. So you're not even in a rush to play him. Then that second pick, Austin Jackson, the offensive tackle out of USC. It took him 18th overall. I like that they didn't go with best player available. They went with what they needed. Everybody know behind quarterback, offensive line is that second need. So I, I give them kudos for that. And Jackson had a mixture of first and second-round grades. So even if you say, hey, it was a reach, I mean, it depends on who you talk to. It's in the eye of the beholder. So it was a good pick in my eyes. And then that third pick, um, Noah Emigane, uh, the cornerback out of Auburn, they, they used that third pick on him. At first, as the draft was going on, I'm thinking to myself, is these guys serious? What is this? As I actually sat back and thought about where did Brian Flores come from? How did Brian Flores cut his teeth in his game? Who taught him a good amount of what he knows? Well, Bill Belichick. We know Bill Belichick liked to have multiple DBs on the, on the field at one time, three, possibly more than that. So once I actually got that thought across my head, I thought, actually, this don't look as bad as I initially thought. So, yeah, um, I, I gave all uh, the Dolphins an a A+.
2: Yeah, I think it was easy to say they just won the day because they had of all their picks, but um, and obviously I really liked that they stayed the course and took Tua. They didn't trade out. They didn't do anything stupid. They just you know they took their player. They got their guy. They didn't mess around. Um, you know, and the other, the other selections in Jackson and, uh, Ibn were, were, they were a little bit, a lot of people said they were reaches. I don't really consider them reaches either because I think that you had the luxury of taking a little more project guys because you have a little bit of time on your hands. You, know, the Dolphins aren't going to be a team that's going to compete next year. So if you think they're going to be all pros, even if they are a little out of your range, just take them because you got time to develop these guys. Um, it's not that big of a deal. The day two picks, I wasn't that sold on. Hunt and Jones, I thought, were both kind of reaches on most of the big boards. Uh, Raquan Davis, he concerns me a little, but you know he can still develop into a factor for sure. And then I think day three really kind of brought it back up with uh, Curtis Weaver in the fifth round. That was a big steal. And then you know even Malcolm Perry in the seventh, I watched Navy football. That dude's kind of good. So uh, I thought they had a, a solid day, a very solid day one, and day two, and a very good day three. And uh, I gave him a B-plus overall. So we'll go ahead and roll to the Jets next. Drink, who You got what you got for them?
1: Oh, for the Jets, you know, they had an excellent draft. I gave them an actual A++. I thought they had the second best draft behind the Broncos, which we'll get to later. Um, look, they draft Makai um, Becton, the offensive tackle out of Louisville with the 11th pick overall. Hey, he's a day one starter, and... Quite frankly, what I'm hearing, he got the best footwork of all the offensive tackles that's in the draft. Footwork is very important when you talk about those big guys on the outside. They got to move a lot of weight. They got to shift in different directions at a very rapid pace. And listen, evidently, he's something serious when it comes to the run game, which I'm pretty sure Le'Veon Bell is very happy to hear about that this year. <laughs> now, that second pick, Denzel Mims, the wide receiver out of Baylor, the 59th picked overall, hey, I thought he was he was gonna go a little higher. Yeah, I, I think you know the Jets got a good guy here. He's gonna be a day one starter. He's a big physical uh, down the field threat. Only problem is if you're bringing him in to replace uh, Anderson, he's not a burner like Anderson, but he does win most of his 50-50 balls. So that Sam Darnold is a guy that throw a high number of 50-50 balls. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them capitalize that off of that. Then the third pick. Aston Davis, the safety out of California, the 6-8 pick. Hey, listen, this guy could have been a day one, should have been a day two guy, but ended up being a day three guy. So, he, he, you know, he might not start or get big minutes when the season starts, but he'll definitely be in the rotation, and we'll see how it goes from now. So, yeah, uh, as far as the Jets went, I gave him an A++.
0: Yeah, I gave the Jets a B. I liked what they did. Just wasn't overly impressed. Um, I'm looking at Beck time. out of those four top tackles. Um, he's the one I'm probably uh, a look, got a little bit of concern about. I think at that size, uh, he could have some difficulty uh, against smaller speed rushers, but we'll see. I mean, he's great at the combine and he's gotten a lot of high praise uh, from around the league. So, but the, the need was definitely there um, at the, at the offensive line and at left tackle. so, the Jets, we'll see how it goes. They they could they could have their left tackle. We'll see. Uh, Denzel Mims really liked that pick uh, in the second round. I don't think the Jets were in a position to be all that picky in type of receiver, whether it's speed or possession, that they just need guys that can catch the ball. And they didn't worry about how they fit when they got enough of them uh, to to put around Sam Dawson so you can throw him the football. And Ashton Davis, I thought that was a really good pick, uh, especially when you're considering Jamal Adams' uh is he is he going to be there long term with some of the, you know, the some of the conversations we've heard, whether it be trade talks, whether it be him being unhappy. And then uh, Jabari Zuniga, I thought defensive line, that was a position that they also could use a little help at. And he's a guy that could turn out to be a, a steal in that third round. I think Michael Piron in the fourth round. I think he's a guy – I think you need a little bit more behind Le'Veon Bell. And we, we saw Le'Veon Bell didn't live up to it in the first year. So you need you do need a second back in there to help you out. And Bryce Hall in the fifth round, I think he could be in the steal of the draft. I was stunned he fell that far.
2: Yeah, I really like this Jets draft as well. Um, they've had some real head-scratchers recently, but this one really does feel different. Uh, Beckton, the most upside of any prospect, you know, at left tackle in the draft. And then Mims, like y'all said, was a great follow-up in round two. I liked that they went to the left tackle first, they drafted the best available position that they kind of needed, and then they circled back to a deeper position where they could have still got some really good value. And luckily for them, Mims was waiting there in round two, and that guy could be really good. Uh, Davis, yeah, again, out of uh, Cal, he could be Jamal Adams' replacement. You know, so that kind of gives them a little bit of an out with all these Jamal Adams trade talks. If they they do want to make a move, they've got a lot like they can be a lot more confident in that move now. And I also highlight, you know, James Morgan. Uh, at FIU, the quarterback, he's one of, I think he's one of the best project quarterbacks you had in this draft. Yeah. Bryce Hall, uh, on day three, was just, that was criminal. That was absolute robbery. Um, he, he can fly it out, play football. And I, I was stunned again, that he fell that far. Uh, I was a little more down the Zuniga pick just cause it was, was the third round. I thought he was going to be a little later. Uh, you know, there's some questions regarding his athleticism and he's only won 13% against power five tackles in his career, according to PFF, not according to me. So, um, I would have liked him in like a fourth or fifth, but you no, know, hey, third, you like the guy, take him. All right, whatever. So, yeah, overall, I, I could slap an A on this draft class, no problem. Uh, we're going to move back to the Bills, Jay. What would you think of them?
0: Uh, slightly above average for me. I gave him a C plus. I was a little hard on him. Uh, I didn't take into account Stephon Diggs, the trade of that first-round pick. Um, I do think in the second and third round, I think with A.J. Epinesa and Zach Moss, um those picks, they do feel needs. I talked about needing a little bit more uh, in the pass rush, and I think – I think Zach Moss could be an effective complement to what, what what they have in Devin Singletary. Uh, they did they didn't address the cornerback position until the seventh round with Dane Jackson. I, I don't know how much um, you'll get from him. So all in all, I, I wasn't overly impressed. But when you do factor into Stefan Diggs uh, trade, I think they did a good. I think they did do a good job.
1: Yeah. Um, um when it comes to the Bills, I gave them a B plus. Um Listen, they got A.J. Espinosa, the defensive end out of Iowa, with the 54 pick, and listen, he could have been a first-round pick, so getting him in the second round is a steal, and for he's for sure going to bolster up that defensive line that's not a slouch from the start, so you can't really be mad at that. But their second pick, they took Zach, uh, Zach Moss, the running back out of Utah, with the 86 pick. Listen, a great complementary power back, piece to add in the backfield with Devin Singletary. I think now you have a very solid one, two punch in the backfield and this should over time, release some pressure off of Josh Allen, hopefully. Um, and then with the, with the third pick, uh, they went with Gabriel Davis, the wide receiver out of UCF with the 128th pick, you know, a good pick for where the bills was able to pick a, a wide receiver in the fourth round. So, you know, it, they, they don't have a dire need for wide receiver because of the before I mentioned Stefan diggs deal in the um, in free agency however it's always good to have depth at any position so if you got depth at wide at the wide receiver position it is what it is
2: yeah, I think if you fat you're in the use of that first round pick, you know, to form one of the better wide receiver trio in football, then I think the Bills are really happy with this draft. Um, you know, Epenesa is a guy we mocked to several teams in our pre draft previews, and uh, not only do I like the pick as far as like the value of him falling well into the second round, but he's gonna really fit well in that new four three front they've sort of moved to, and as a very good like interior rusher, you can kind of put him on the outside or you can move him inside on more rushing downs. So, I like he'll have a lot of flexibility on that front there. Uh, I also like the addition of Austin Davis, obviously to help out Josh Allen. I think he needs. You know a little bit more help, and you got to think that Moss fell more than he should have. Also, um, I'm not a big Jake Fromm believer, but I, I can't see him being good backup insurance for Allen. And that system, you know, I could I could envision a world where Josh Allen like hurts a shoulder, he's out for three weeks, and Fromm comes in there and floats the boat, and they go one and two or two and one. You know, like I, I could see that happening. So, so I do like that. Um, I would say that uh, I would say one issue I did kind of have with this draft, it was kind of light on linemen on either side outside of uh, Epinesa. So I, I always like to see at least a couple big guys, you know, and only got the one really. So but overall, you know, I, when you throw in the trade, I, I give it an a minus. So drink, we'll wrap up with the Patriots,
1: which uh, what, what do you got for them. So I end up giving the Patriots I B. Um, I wasn't overly uh, blown away with what they did. I, I just expected a little more, I guess. So starting with Collar Digger, the the safety out of Lenore Ryan, that's a Division II school for all you cats that don't know, Uh, with the 37th pick. You know, the the special thing about this guy is he can also play linebacker as well as safety. So I think when you get a player like this, you can get to work him out in both positions. If he's good enough, you can play him in both positions. But we know that that Patriots defense got a lot of holes that they need to fill, so He's a solid fit at one of the two positions of needs for the, for this Patriots defense. So I like that. I like that, that versatility. Then with the second pick, they took uh, Josh Uche, the linebacker out of UCLA with the sixth or 60 overall pick. Hey, I think this guy should be a day one starter. I don't see why he wouldn't be. But, um, you know, he's going to need some uh, fine tuning, a bit of fine tuning. But I don't, you know, if Bill Belichick is this master that everybody say he is. I don't see the problem. He should be able to get him up and ready to go from day one. We'll see. Coronavirus will everything. And then with the third pick, uh, Anthony Jennings, the outside line back out of Alabama, they took with the uh, 87 pick. Listen, this guy, I, I personally know being an Alabama fan, very good pass rusher. However, he's kind of in a tour situation. He has dealt with multiple injuries while at Alabama. So if he can stay healthy, he would definitely be a benefit. But we got to see how that body holds up to the impact on a professional level.
0: Yeah, I I got I'm about the same as drink on the uh, Patriots. I gave him a B minus. I thought their first three picks were uh, really good, depending particularly with what where they were positioned. Uh, They traded back out of the first round, didn't like what they saw there. Uh, Kyle Duggar, not going to pretend I've watched a lot of tape on him. But uh, if we know uh, when it comes to preparation and and scouting, you know, Bill Belichick is going to know what the deal is on a guy before he takes him. So I'm going to give him a benefit of the doubt there. And the versatility that you mentioned, whether it be linebacker safety, uh, the Patriots are pretty deep in that secondary. So I think it's definitely a possibility where we could see him playing some sub package linebacker. And then Josh Uche, they they need help in the pass rush. I don't think that's no secret. And Anthony Jennings, those two guys, Uche and Jennings are going to be key moving forward. And I think they could play very early uh, with how that front seven, it's a little, it's a little weak uh, with all the departures they've had the past couple of years. And I think, I think Anthony Jennings, along with Dante Hightower, that could be a a lot of fun to watch. Uh, They didn't get a quarterback in this draft. Uh, I I expected they would take one in the later rounds. They didn't, but we, we, we also said there was a possibility that they wouldn't address it in this round. Um, I like what they did in their first three picks. After that, a little less sold, though.
2: Yeah, this, I mean, this feels like a Patriots draft if there ever was one. You know, um, I'd start with the good and say that I do like the trade as well. Coming out of the first round, getting L.A. second and third round, that's actually a pretty good value. You look at the value charts and whatnot. Uh, and it was a good move considering the lack of premium picks. Uh, Uche, is another. You know, like y'all said, I like him a lot as well. And he's a really good match in that scheme, and he's going to be right at home. You know, as a guy, he can also he can come off the edge and rush, but he can also drop back and cover some. Um, I also can't really knock that investment in the offensive line later on. A uh, uh, Wino and Heron both seem to be real highly thought of among offensive line scouts, so I can see those guys fitting right at home in the Patriots' sort of scheme there. Uh, but there's, you know, there's a lot you don't want to like too about this. And I, I, I don't, I guess on on Kyle Duger, my thing is this: like you invested your most premium pick in a position in which you were already really, really solid at, and. Then you're going to go, oh, well, I didn't get a quarterback or I didn't have this to do that. I I just I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I, maybe if he's a guy, you think just an absolute slam dunk home run. All right. But uh, in the double dip at tight end in the third round of a fairly weak class, you know, you took a fifth round kicker. You probably could have picked up with a nice bonus as an undrafted free agent. Uh, and I get it. You know, in two years, you guys are all going to be home. They're all going to be pro bowlers and we're going to be sitting here laughing. But I mean, at the end of the day, like. The draft is what it is, but the, the, you're putting Jared Siddham out there week one. So I, I hope Kyle Dugger and the rest of this crew are, are all that good because for me it's a C until, you know, they prove me wrong. All right, guys, let's go ahead and flip over to the NFC side of things and take a look at everyone's favorite division, the NFC East. The division had quite a few surprises in it, and we begin with Washington drinks. So how'd you grade them?
1: I gave them a solid eight. Um, they had a pretty good draft. Listen, they, number one, they took Chase Chase Young, the defense in, out of Ohio State, second overall. I think we know what the Redskins are getting with him, so I'm moving on. And With their second pick, uh, Antonio Gibson, the wide receiver out of Memphis with the 66 pick. Listen, I found out while doing this that this guy also can play halfback. So, once again, I get intrigued when you got guys that can play two positions at a high level. So, I did hear that the Redskins are interested in that. And so he's a really, really versatile guy that can line up in multiple positions. I like that. Sign me up. And then with the third pick, Sadiq Charles, the offensive tackle out of LSU. They took him with the 108th pick overall. Listen, he's more of a pass protector than a run blocker. But his run blocking can get the job done. I expect him to be the replacement for Trent Williamson. So I, I, overall, I gave the Redskins an A. I, you know, it was a good draft.
0: Could have been better, but I gave him eight. Yeah, I, g- I gave him a C. I thought it was the average draft. I think at the second pick when you when Chase Young is just, just staring you in the face. I'm not going to give you a whole lot of credit for getting that one right. And then uh, they didn't have a second-round pick. And then, you know, the third and fourth rounds, wide receiver wasn't needed for them. They got Antonio Gibson. They got Antonio Gandy-Golden. We'll see how that uh, those two picks work out. Uh I'm I'm not all that sold on them, but I I did like the Sadiq Charles pick. I think that was probably uh, when you take about when you think about value, that was probably their best pick. And considering Trent Williams is now gone, finally and rightfully so, uh, I think that pick that pick should work out very well for them. And we talk about left tackles. uh, If there was an attribute you'd want to have them. If you had to pick between pass blocking and run blocking, you'd probably want them to be a better pass protector. So I like that pick a lot.
2: Yeah, this is a you know another top five team that didn't screw it up like we talked about kind of with the Dolphins. You know, uh, Pro Football Focus lead analyst Mike Renner said he believes Chase Young is bound for the Hall of Fame and is the highest rated prospect they've ever analyzed. So wouldn't it be some Redskins crap for them to take a quarterback instead or something, right? So I'm glad they didn't do it. Uh, Chase Young's going to be a immediate force for this team and that front that seven now. Uh, they have five first round picks: Ryan Kerrigan, Deron Payne, Montez Sweat, and Jonathan Allen to go with Chase Young. Uh, throwing the veteran leadership of Thomas Davis. That's a that's kind of scary. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, they that might be a really good unit right now. Hey, um, They're looking like the Puerto It's yeah. I mean, yep. just it's, that's kind of, that's, a, that's not fun to go up against. Uh, you know, Antonio Gibson looks like a fun prospect and I, he should help uh, Dwayne Haskins out a lot. And then, yeah, Gandy Golden was a, I, I think he's, uh, getting a possession receiver for a quarterback like Haskins is going to be really important. And Charles, you know, like we ta- like talked y'all talked about, he's a much higher talent with off-the-field issues. So getting guys like that in the on day three in the fourth round, that's a perfect time where you can just take some dice and just roll them on a dude like him. And he does seem like he could come in and start immediately or very soon. So that's obviously good to see. So, you know, I, I like this draft. I'm not sure how much it helps him win this year, but I think it's a good class. It'll set Ron up for a while. I'll give it a B plus. All right, Jay, we'll go over to the Giants. how do you grade the G-men?
0: Uh, not real sold on them. Just seemed like Dave Gettleman up to his usual nonsense. Uh, Andrew Thomas at the fourth pick. I would have took Isaiah Simmons, but they did have a need at offensive tackle. And not saying that Andrew Thomas won't be a good player. I just thought Jedrick Wills or Tristan Wirfs, those would have been uh, – those, those, I would have went with one of those guys, Vice Andrew Thomas – I did like Xavier McKinney uh, in the second round. I think they did have a need of, uh, need of safety, and he was one of the better safety prospects in this draft. So I really liked that. Uh, but after that, nothing nothing really popped for me um, as far as what I was seeing. They didn't get any better on the defensive line. Uh, that was curious to me uh, with the pass rush issues they've had in the past. Um, and then for their last five picks, uh, were at that linebacking core. So when you take that into consideration – I wasn't all that impressed with them.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm on the opposite end of this one. Of no, Jay, I gave him an A-plus because it's an offensive league, so it seemed like they're trying to catch up with the times or everybody else. Um, but <clears throat> with their first pick, Andrew Thomas, the offensive tackle out of Georgia that took him fourth overall, hey, he looks he looks as it's been told that he has the most balance of all the offensive tackles, which is high praise with the level of offensive tackles that we had in this draft that got taken. And um, with that said, listen, he can run, he can pass, block, run, block at a very, very high level. What more do you need to see in today's NFL when you got that fourth pick? Uh, and then with that second pick, they took Xavier McKinney, the safety out of Alabama with the 36th pick. Hey, should have been a first rounder, but he slid to the second round. A very, very solid tackler for a safety. It's very important because that's kind of what you want. I mean, cover skills does matter, but you need a, a, a safety that can tackle. Um, in today's league, and he did not give up a lot of touchdowns as a safety when he was at, with Alabama. So I do see him being a day one starter. We'll see how that goes. And then with the third pick, Matt Peach, the uh, the offensive tackle out of UConn went nine, 99th overall. I didn't even know UConn put out draft, but listen, he he did come out of UConn, and uh, he probably won't be a day one starter. I mean, I, I seen some you know a few little clips. He probably won't be a day one starter, but I do see by years end he ends up in the rotation with help from spring practice, with spring training, help from preseason, and as well as the regular season itself, he could, you know, break that off, that offensive line and get get some uh, playing time.
2: Yeah, this is a draft I'm fairly high on. I'm kind of in the middle, but I would lean a little bit towards drink. You know, Andrew Thomas, I think, for... For all the talk the other guys got, for a while, Andrew Thomas was the highest rated guy. And then, like, as the draft approached and these other guys crept up the boards. Uh, But bottom line with Thomas is he dominated in the SEC against the best talent around week in and week out. I mean, the SEC just put like 500 people in the NFL just in this one draft. So, you know, he's he's real solid. I think as a guy, you take it number four, you're not going to be mad about it. What I like about it is the vision. You know, you have Daniel Jones, you know, Saquon Barkley is a heart of your offense. And not only did you take him, you went back to the offensive line with the guy Drink mentioned, and then LeMayu in the fifth round, who could be kind of a sleeper as well. He's a mean, mauling run blocker. So I like that The team has a clear vision and that vision is through Saquon Barkley's massive legs. I love it. (laughs) Um, And and then, yeah, McKinney, like y'all said, McKinney is a guy that for all the talk Isaiah Simmons got, McKinney has a little bit of Isaiah Simmons in him. I mean, he can do a lot more than just be flying around as a ball hawk and safety. The dude can do a lot of stuff, uh, and that's going to be a big help on a Giants defense. So they got to feel like, you know, they didn't get Isaiah Simmons. They got a dude that probably wasn't too far off in the second round and got their big fella up front in the first round. I do agree with Jay. The linebacking additions late in the day in, in the draft were like, okay, what do we what, do? We need this many linebackers? Is that half these dudes even going to make the roster? Uh, I would like to see him maybe tap this good wide receiver class again, or go through that pass rusher problem. But you know, overall, I like the draft. I like the vision, and I like it for the Giants. All right, drink everyone's favorite team. The Cowboys are up next. They seem to have done pretty well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I gave the Cowboys an A. Um, I, I wasn't overly like disappointed in anything. You know. They, they caught me by surprise, I guess. But listen, C.D. Lamb, wide receiver out of Oklahoma. They took him 17 overall. The fact that this guy, the fact that the Cowboys even got this guy is outrageous. And that just tells you what happened in front of them. It wasn't like the Cowboys traded up for him or anything. But um look, it's just like the saying goes, the rich get richer. And that's exactly what the Cowboys did here. Now, that got three number one targets to throw to. And um, so it's no excuses, Dak. You, you got what you need. Let's make it happen. And listen, I think when it's all said and done, C.D. Lamb is in a very good position to make an all-offensive team of some sort this year. When it's all said and done, uh, I would see him probably playing in the slot. And listen, I'll <laughs> tell you, it's going to be hard to stop this offense this year. And then second, Trayvon Diggs, the cornerback out of Alabama. They took him 51st overall. Listen. Mm-hmm. When you look at the tape of old Trayvon Diggs here, I mean, it's, it's a tape out there where, he, you know, he could play better. But at the end of the day, he came to Alabama as a wide receiver. He switched to cornerback. It is what it is. He's a very, very athletic guy, and he's the type of cornerback that the Cowboys was looking for. So it was a no-brainer that they went, went out and got him at 51. But he does need to clean up his technique because that's not going to fly in the NFL. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of guys that get paid a lot of money that should be able to help him with that. So with that said, he should definitely be somewhere in the mix to be a day-one starter for the Cowboys. And then number three, Navelle Garman, the uh, defensive tackle out of Oklahoma. They took him 82nd overall. Hey, very, very fast, athletic type of defense line. I mean, this guy, yo, if he gets in it faster, they're going to put him on the end. I think he would fit like a glove with that Dallas defensive line. What they want to do, so I thought very, very solid draft with their first three picks. So I gave the Cowboys an eight.
0: Uh, B plus for me for the Cowboys. CeeDee Lamb, a little bit of a luxury pick. I thought they were well stocked at wide receiver, but they're going to be awfully top to, uh, tough to stop uh, now with the guy that's that was arguably the best wide receiver prospect in this draft. And it's just one of those situations where, I mean, you probably they probably looked at their board and said, "This guy's still there. We have to take him." Almost kind of what happened to Arizona with uh, Isaiah Simmons. Uh, Trayvon Diggs, Reggie Robinson, the cornerbacks they picked up. Cornerback definitely in need uh, after Byron, Byron Jones left at uh, Gallimore in the third round. I saw a lot of second uh, second round grades for him, so that was good value there. At uh, Wisconsin, center that uh, they got Tyler uh, uh, Biadoc out of Wisconsin. We know Travis Frederick is gone, so they needed help there. And so overall, I think they did a very good job. B plus for Dallas, and oh by the way, uh, not to put words in Drink's mouth, but Dak. I think he's talking about wins, not passing yards.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think Dallas, besides maybe Baltimore, was the team that got the most value out of their draft, just pure value picks. You know, again, Lamb following them at 17. That's incredible. I mean, thank you, Las Vegas uh, Raiders, for that one. Uh, But. You know, the, you know, him and Judy were kind of the one A, one B of the class and, and putting him aside from Cooper, not only it's a home run because it gives you an extra threat at wide receiver, but you also get that little bit of an out later on with Cooper's contract. If you want to shed some salary when you start paying Dak a whole small island GDP or the money, whatever, uh, you know, and then you come back in the second round, and you get Trayvon Diggs, a guy that easily could have went in the 20s, but based off his you know abilities and he gets fit what they like in corners, so that's that's a home run, and then Gallimore, I don't know if he was the dream for what they wanted, I know Kalevon Chasen was the guy they were eyeing in that 17th spot originally, I think they wanted a true edge rusher across from DeMarcus Lawrence, but hey, when you are you got a guy, again, that's over 30 spots of big board value, that outweighs that, and this guy can still be quite the fours inside, and if you get that fours, that disruption inside, you know, you don't need home run edge rushers to get home, I mean, you just got to have some dudes that can get there, so. You know, I can even say on day three, like you said, Jay, with the you know, the Wisconsin lineman, he felt way past where he should have. I mean, it was just like every time they came up to draft, they had another guy that they couldn't pass up on. And, and he's also a hell of a paver of a run blocker. So, hey, Zeke, here you go. Here's another dude to help you mow people over in the rushing attack, which you should be doing anyway. Uh, so I, I don't know what I could knock on this draft. So I'm not. I'm giving it an a name. All right, Jay, we'll wrap up with the Eagles, possibly the most uh, interesting of the drafts. What do you think about them?
0: Yeah, and uh, by interesting, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that as uh, saying they didn't do a very good job. Uh, they hit they get the first uh, well below average grade with the hot D plus in here, uh, mm-hmm. primarily with what they did in the first two rounds. Uh, Jalen Rager, I, I, I guess I can understand the fascination with him, but uh, Cody talked about it uh, on the last show, I believe. Uh, this is a guy that got some suspect hands. Uh, When you talk about all the drops that the Eagles had last season, I don't think you want to bring a guy in that has some hands issues. And Deshaun Jackson, last time I checked, he's still Uh there. So you still got that burner. I was thinking you probably needed a guy that could make some uh, 50-50 type catches, a little bit more of a physical specimen out there. But uh, they went the speed route. We'll see how it goes. And then uh, this is absolutely no knock against Jalen Hurts. Uh, I like him a lot. I think he deserves a chance to play in the NFL. I think he's a – we know we know he's a high-character guy. He's a winner. To me, in the Eagles, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense. I know Carson Wentz, uh, he got some injury concerns. We know this, but I would I would be of the mindset that if you wanted Jalen Hurts, wouldn't you want him behind a guy in a system that would fit his skill set? Doug Peterson is a smart guy. I'm sure he'll have some creative things up his sleeve, but I'm just not sold on that pick. I didn't think it made a whole lot of sense to me. And then after that, they did uh they did bring in Kayvon Wallace. They needed a little help at the safety position. But uh, I I'm I'm particularly I'm not real high on him. And then their other wide receiver prospects, John Hattera, Quez Watkins. I don't know. We'll just see how it goes. But it's really those first two picks that I got the most gripe with. D plus.
1: Um, you know, <clears throat> I'm I'm with Jay. Uh, I mean, well, I gave him a C plus. But I'm with Jay as far as once this is all said and done, I think the Eagles are going to be pretty close to the bottom of my draft. Um, I, I drafted pretty pretty reasonable, and but um, I graded pretty reasonable. But I, I don't know the Eagles. I, I don't know. So with that first pick, Jalen Rager, um, wide receiver out of TCU with the 21st pick, like Jay said, I agree with him on this. I think this pick should have been George, uh, Justin Jefferson. I don't, I don't know how it ended up being Rager in my book. It's not a terrible pick, but... I think the Eagles got enough speed. They need more hands. You know, so I don't I don't know. Maybe they seen some. I don't know. Whatever. So with the second pick, they went with Jalen Hurts, the quarterback out of Oklahoma with the 53rd pick. Listen, I seen this and I'm assuming that the Eagles are concerned about Carson Wentz staying healthy. That's all I can see out of this. I don't know why you picked Jalen Hurts that that high. I don't think he would have left the board that that high. But hey. Maybe if Carson wins, go down. Now you have an athletic quarterback to keep things going. Um, sure. So once once uh, he does get on the field, though, I will say it will be fun to see him out there because he's a different type of quarterback. Jay mentioned the character. He he he's a guy that's going to come in, even though he's a rookie. He got leadership dripping off his cleats. So you know, come in, make some things happen. So that that's a very very interesting quarterback room now for the for the Eagles. Then you got Devin Taylor, the linebacker out of Colorado, which they took with the 103rd pick. Solid linebacker. But I'm not overly impressed with what I've seen of him. I watched some clips of him against Pac-12 competition. And let me just tell you, maybe he might be a better pro. I'm I'm just not overly sold with that it is, but it is what it is. So I guess we'll see what we see it is. Yeah.
2: Oh, man. Yeah, I think what makes this draft so interesting for them is that this really it has a chance to be amazing. I mean, or it could be horrible. Like, I I feel like this draft is kind of this complete boom or bust sort of scenario. You know, Rager does have this elite athletic ability who had horrendous quarterback play at TCU, but he has all the problems you guys just mentioned. So is he your future Deshaun Jackson or is he some dude that's going to flame out in a year or two? You know, is Jalen Hurts your franchise quarterback in the second round? If you pick a quarterback mid to high in the second round, I, I to me, he's your franchise quarterback or you're, you're tying your horse to him. Or is he some gadget player, Taysom Hill type dude that you burned a second round pick on? You know, I'm, I'm not sold on Hurts in the next level. I'm rooting for him as well. I love him as a person. I'm really glad he landed with a good staff and organization. And he can just like follow the, like the Redskins or some random Jaguars, whatever, some crap like that. But, but you know, when you look at the team overall, your your window is still open in my opinion. With this team, there's still a lot of talent and a lot of things to like about the Eagles. And Wentz is still on sort of the cheaper half of his contract. He's 18 million hit this year. He's north of 30 next year and beyond. And you could have spent your rounds one through four a lot better to give yourself a lot better chance to succeed not only in the future but also right now. You know, I like some of the linebacking, you know, linebacker depth pickups. That's good. They always need some of these guys. They need some corners. You Got a project wide receiver. Uh, Prince Tega in the seventh round. That was hot. That was robbery. Uh, that was one of the most criminally robbed picks of the draft. So good for them on that. But overall, this was a really volatile draft, and I. I don't know if that's what the Eagles needed. So I'm pretty pessimistic. I'm going to give it a C plus. All right, guys. So I finished off with some rapid reaction. A lot of topics and a little bit of time. Let's go, Drake.
1: All right, let's roll. Golden State Warriors head coach Steve Kerr said the team is operating as if the season is over. Your reaction?
0: Uh, that season was over when Steph Curry uh, hurt hurt his hand or whatever he injured, so I'm not going to pay too much attention to this. The only reason we should be paying attention to Steve Kerr uh, is the Bulls documentary, waiting on him to get punched. So uh, don't rain on my parade of optimism. The Cowboys signed free agent's cornerback Daryl Worley today. Is that a significant development?
1: No, not to me. Not until he showed me something first. I mean, it is what it is. Hey, is. I'm glad you got a job, buddy. St. Louis Cardinals catcher Yara Molina said, He's open to playing another team, playing for another team after the 2020 season if he and the Cardinals can't agree to an agreement. Does that
0: surprise you? Oh, it does. He's played for the Cardinals 15 years. He's caught almost 2,000 <clears throat> games for them. It just seems like one of those guys that you know is never going to leave his franchise. So yes, it is a surprise that he's open to playing for another team beyond this season. The New York Knicks are bringing back Scott General Manager Scott Perry on a one-year deal. Good decision.
1: Yes. Even though I gave the Knicks a hard time this season, before the suspension of the season, he did have he hit, he had the Knicks trending upward. I give him that. So give him another year. Why not, man? What could it hurt? The Falcons have declined fifth-year option of D. N. Tank McKinley. Any chance he remains with the with the with Atlanta above this se- beyond this season?
0: Probably pretty slim. He'd have to have this a renaissance career. Probably would need you know double-digit sacks. Uh, had a pretty down year last season compared to his second and third years, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say he does not return after this season. Free agent quarterback Jameis Winston has signed with the New Orleans Saints for a whopping one year, one point million, one point one million dollars. Who benefits the most from this deal?
1: Uh, it's Jameis, absolutely Jameis, because if Breeze goes down, he get the same if not better situation that Bridgewater got, and we see how that panned out for Bridgewater. So I'm I'm going with Jameis on this one. Baltimore Orioles slugger Trey Messini said he is recovering from stage three colon cancer and doubt he will play baseball this season. Your thoughts?
0: Rest up, get better. Uh, No matter how many games we play this year, the Orioles ain't going to be that good. So don't worry about rushing back to him. We'll see you next year, Trey. The Los Angeles Lakers have been in contact with the L.A. mayor's office about opening their practice facility before the state's shelter and shelter in place order expires. Do you see that request getting approved?
1: Nope, I do not. I'm a firm believer that California would take all the necessary time before reopening any businesses or infrastructure. So, sorry, you're just in California, so you're going to have to wait. for Forest announced Saturday that they have fired Danny Manning as head men's basketball coach. Was that decision warranted?
0: Yeah, only one NCAA appearance in six years. 30 and 80 in ACC tournament play. There's a whole lot of ugly numbers in the record surrounding Danny Manning, and yeah, enough was enough. Last one, TCU coach Gary Patterson says he's working with a recording artist to make an album. You going to listen when it drops? Nope, not one bit.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, that concludes today's Drink of
0: Wisdom. I'm Cody Ward. (laughs) I'm Jay Wise.
1: And I'm Nathan Drinker, and remember, make tomorrow better than today, and make today better than yesterday. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to holler at you until next time, baby.